My name's Alan Pittman. If I've not had a pleasure to meet you, uh, I am uh, the uh, pastor here as well as one of our elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you chose to come and worship with us today. Hopefully, when you came in, you picked up a worship guide. It looks like this. And on the back side, there'll be a place where you can take notes. You can see the sermon title for this week as well as the passage of Scripture that we'll be looking at next week. We'll be getting back into Acts in a couple of weeks, but uh, for now we are looking at a passage in 1 Corinthians on the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and before I jump into the message itself, I want to just reiterate a couple of things. Uh, there are several things going on in the life of our church. It's that time of year where we kind of like to make sure all of our information in our database is accurate so that we have all the right grades for the kids and right phone numbers and email addresses. Some of you have moved recently and things like that. So if you have access to the Church Center app, then you can help us out by going to the Church Center app. You don't need to do it now, but maybe after we leave from church and jump on Church Center app and check everyone in your household and make sure that all the information is correct. You can update all your kids and your spouse and everybody like that. If you're not sure what I'm talking about about Church Center app, that's okay. Uh, it's a database the access that we have for our church family. But the way that you can help us if you don't have Church Center app, whether you're a member or not, is you can take one of our connection cards this morning and fill out the card entirely. Just And you're like, I've already given you the information. I understand that. But we can have it again to make sure, verify that we have the correct information, that we don't have a typo in our database. So uh, that's one thing that's going on right now. The other thing is there's a lot of activities happening, especially next Sunday. We've got a new member class is happening right after the service. We'll have lunch provided and we'll also have uh, child care provided. So if you are attending our church, would like to consider church membership, not really sure what it's all about, uh, you don't have to join that day. Just come and hear more about what the church is all about. And that'll be next Sunday after the service. Please register online so we can have a count that's accurate uh, to be prepared. Um, also next Sunday after the service until four o'clock there'll be a blood drive here in our church building hope that you can participate in that and then that evening we have a financial stewardship course that's happening from 5 p.m. until 8 p.m. and there'll be child care provided all of those things you can find information at uh, our website on the hope and, and things like that you can call the church office with any questions and then the last thing is the 23rd which is in two weeks from today we're going to be doing summer caroling you're like what is summer caroling I'm glad you asked we are not going to be singing uh, Feliz Navidad or any other Christmas song but instead we're going to be singing uh, that uh, some of the older gospel songs and hymns at some nursing homes here in our community and so we go out in groups and we go to four or five nursing homes and sing to the residents and then we'll come back here and have an ice cream fellowship all that starts at five o'clock two weeks from today so all that information on the church website but I didn't want you to miss out on any of those things all right if you've got a Bible go ahead and grab that and open it up to first Corinthians uh, it's in the New Testament it's after uh, Romans, uh, after Acts, which is after the Gospels. So uh, 1 Corinthians, don't be ashamed to use the table of contents if you need to. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you, underneath a seat near you. Feel free to use that in the service. And then if you would need a Bible at the house or know someone who does, feel free to take that with you. That'll be our gift to you this morning. As I said a moment ago, we have been in the book of Acts for the last year, year and a half, and we're going to finish that up at the end of this year. We're going to jump back in it in a couple of weeks. Um, but in the book of Acts, we just finished up uh, a big section of Acts chapter 18. And in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul wraps up his second missionary journey 
in a city by the name of Corinth. And it's interesting because Paul was there at least a year and a half and maybe longer, which is actually a very long time for Paul in the cities that he visited. So he knew the church at Corinth quite well, and he stayed in touch with them regularly. And even after he left from there, he wrote them letters. In fact, we have in the Bible two of those letters, but based on what he says in 1 Corinthians and some other places, he wrote at least three letters, if not four letters to the Corinthians, only two of them are found in the canon of the scripture. But Paul writes these letters to address problems and divisions and issues and concerns that are going on within the life of the church. And in all of these circumstances, he points them back to the hope that's found in the gospel and the wisdom that's found in the gospel. And so this morning, the title of the message is called, Do You Understand God? We're going to seek to understand how we can understand God properly and what it means to have godly wisdom. In chapter 1, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, but in chapter 1, Paul immediately begins to hit in 1 Corinthians a problem that they have in the church, and that is they had factions that were beginning to form around the various leaders in the church. In the city of Corinth, and therefore in the church at Corinth, they had a wide respect for well-spoken, eloquent, persuasive speakers. They were valued very highly. In fact, they were valued too much so, which caused division within the life of the church. As I read that, I kind of chuckled. I'm like, well, good news. Living hope, we don't have to worry about that problem. And the reason I say that is because the problem in Corinth was they had a lot of eloquent speakers and therefore they're trying to confuse by who to follow. And I can say the three primary speakers and preachers at our church, none of us are eloquent. You've got me, Howard, and Jacob. Jacob is from West Virginia and South Louisiana. Howard, I don't even have the words for him. And then me, you hear me blubber all over the place. But the reality is this. In all seriousness, in Corinth, there was too much focus on human wisdom and eloquence. And Paul says, you have your focus on the wrong place. Because what you're looking to is human wisdom, worldly wisdom. And what you should be looking at is godly wisdom. And whenever we compare those two things, you can take the time this afternoon to read chapter 1. He does a great job of describing how the world's wisdom and godly wisdom is quite different from one another. In fact, God's wisdom is quite contrary to what the world would label as wisdom. To kind of give you a glimpse of that, I do want to read five verses out of 1 Corinthians. You're like, the passage you're reading today is 2 Corinthians. True, but to understand 2 Corinthians, we need to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. Here's what Paul says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will, this is God's words, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? This set of verses that I just read is the baseline for all that follows. 
What we need to understand is that God is busy saving people through the foolishness, and Paul says this, through the foolishness of preaching the cross and its power. You're like, I've listened to enough preaching from Alan. It is a bunch of foolishness. Okay, that was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. Ashley's told me all the time, I'm not funny when I try, and I'm funny when I don't try. So anyway, the foolishness, though, that he's talking about is the message of the cross sounds foolish to other people. As I thought about that, I thought about the power that's found in the cross. It made me think about the power that's found in the blood and an old hymn. Perhaps you know this song and you can rest assured your, your weary ears shan't hear me sing this. But perhaps you can listen to the tune in your head of this hymn. Verse 1, this was written in the late 1800s. This is the hymn, There is Power in the Blood. Would you be free from your, it's just intended to be sung, but I'm not going to. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Those words are 100% true, but they're also 100% foolish to a world that doesn't understand it. If you come into a church building and they're singing a song about blood and about a lamb and a dead lamb and blood everywhere and there's power in the blood and this wonder-working power and it's happy-go-lucky song, it makes no sense to the world because it's foolishness to the world. It's not foolish. But it's foolish to the world's way of seeing things. You see, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the blood of Jesus. There is power in the cross. There is power in the resurrection. There's power in an empty tomb. There is no way to be made right with the holy, perfect God other than the blood of Jesus being spread out and poured out for you on your behalf. And so Paul says, this is a foolish, crazy message to the world. I mean, think of it this way. The story of the cross is that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, is sentenced to die as a criminal. That is a foolish story. Why would God be sentenced as a criminal? Side note, Jesus was not a criminal. He was not a sinner. He did not break the law. He was just simply crucified as a sinner. And the reality is it seems bizarre for someone to hear that. Jesus was then crucified on a cross, and then his dead body was put in a tomb, and we worship this man, this God. In Jesus' death, he paid the price for our sins, and he brought victory over sin. And then on the third day, Jesus' dead body was raised from the dead, and he was made alive again. I say sheer foolishness to the world. At least that's what the world thinks. But it says this in those verses that I read. But to those who are called, the cross is the power and wisdom of God. That's found in verse 24. All of these things point that we cannot do it on our own. We must trust in God. See, worldly wisdom says, I have to do this. I'm in charge. I call the shots. I get to say how it's going to be. God's wisdom says you have no control over it whatsoever. It's all what I do on your behalf, and you have to place your faith and your trust in me for salvation to enter your, into your life. 
It's the wisdom of God, the power of God that brings salvation. In chapter 2, Paul begins to expound on what this godly wisdom looks like. And so I want us to look at it together. He says this godly wisdom is what we receive from the Holy Spirit. And so in this short series we're doing called Empowered, we're seeing how the Holy Spirit empowers us. And in this text, we're going to see the Holy Spirit empowers us to know the mind of Christ, to understand God, and to follow Him. Let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, reading through 16. It says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. The reason he's kind of jumping in mid-sentence is because previous to this, he's saying, we're not using wisdom, we're not coming to you with eloquence. And then he says, well, let me clarify, we do come to you with wisdom. It's just not worldly wisdom, it's godly wisdom. And so it says in the middle of verse 6 that this wisdom is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. I mean, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So there's a few things I want us to consider this morning. I'm going to share them with you. Um, Hopefully they'll be on the screen. You can jot these things down. Here's the first question I want you to ask yourself. What kind of wisdom are you pursuing? What kind of wisdom are you pursuing? The two options you have is you can pursue either godly wisdom or you can pursue worldly wisdom. Which one are you pursuing? I want us to look at the verses that clearly define what worldly wisdom looks like and what godly wisdom looks like. Wisdom from the world, wisdom of this age is found in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, this is worldly wisdom, is the wisdom of this age, it's the wisdom of the rulers of this age. What does he mean, of this age? This reference or this phrase, of this age, means this. This age refers to people who think with no reference whatsoever to what God has to say. It's the mindset that says, no one defines my reality. Did you hear what I said? No one defines my reality. In other words, there is no truth, there is no reality other than what I call it to be. Think about all the chaos and confusion in our world. It's all based on this idea that I get to call the shots. The only authority I answer to is myself. That's the wisdom of this age. That's a worldly wisdom. What else does he say about worldly wisdom? At the end of verse 6, it says that this is doomed to pass away. Worldly wisdom doesn't last. 
It leads to death. God dooms it to destruction because it falls apart. Look down in verse 8. We can see that in verse 8, the, the context of that verse points out that worldly wisdom makes it impossible for us to understand the things of God. And then look down in verse 14. In verse 14, we see that worldly wisdom sees the things of the Spirit of God as folly. Worldly wisdom is completely unable to understand the things of God. You're like, well, I'm not of the world, I'm, I'm a Christian, but the reality is this, sometimes Christians themselves default back to living as in this worldly way of seeing things. So are you guilty of walking or trying to walk in worldly wisdom? Are you trying to do things on your own, call your own shots, define your own reality, or are you looking to godly wisdom? Let's look at godly wisdom real quick. In verse 7, how does it describe godly wisdom? It says that godly wisdom is secret and hidden. That without God's help, it's impossible to understand. It's not saying that it's unknowable. It just says that without God's help, it is secret, it is hidden, it's unknowable. Also in verse 7, it says that this godly wisdom is for our glory. It's like, wait a minute, hold up. I thought everything that we do in our lives is to the glory of God. So how is it that he's saying that godly wisdom is for our glory? Shouldn't it be for Jesus' glory? Yes, it is. But what he means by for our glory is he's pointing to our salvation. That godly wisdom is the power of the cross which brings salvation. And that for that salvation to take place in our lives means that we ultimately get to experience his glory and in his presence as we are glorified to be like him. And so for our glory points to our salvation both in the here and in both in the here and now and ultimately in the presence of God in heaven. See there's in some ways we use theological terms to describe this and I'm going to try to help help us understand it. Uh, there are three aspects or processes of, of the salvation experience. Salvation is continual. Salvation happens in a moment where we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and we convert to understanding things the way that God sees them and we call that justification where we're made right with God. And then we live a lifetime of a process of seeking to become more and more like Jesus, which we call sanctification. And then ultimately, we get to leave this old dirty world behind and get to be in the presence of God if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, and we get to experience his glory, and this is called glorification. And so whenever Paul says that, that the world, a godly wisdom is for our glory, he's referencing our salvation. So my question for you is, are you seeking God's wisdom? Or are you seeking the world's wisdom? The truth of the matter is this, that you and I, on our own, cannot pursue godly wisdom. You and I, on our own, can't understand godly wisdom. So the only way that we can be living according to godly wisdom is if we're trusting in the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which takes us to the next point, which should be on the screen that says this, God reveals himself to us through the Spirit. If God's wisdom is hidden and secret from the world and those that don't know him, then how in the world are we to know the wisdom of God unless he reveals it to us? God reveals himself to us through the Spirit. We see that in verses 9 and 10. You may want to jot this down. Verse 9, and of course, depending on your Bible, there may be a note that tells you this. Verse 9, Paul quotes an Old Testament passage. He quotes Isaiah 64, verse 4. 
Here's what it says in verses 9 and 10. As he quotes Isaiah and then he reflects on that. He says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us. How? Through the Spirit. In verse 9, he says that seeing and hearing and understanding are helpful and good things, but we cannot see or hear or understand the things of God on our own because it's impossible to know the heart of God unless he chooses to reveal his heart to us. Verse 10 says that the Spirit does reveal these things. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago as we started this series, we highlighted the fact that every single person who's placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ has God himself residing within us, that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and live within us. And because we have the Holy Spirit within us, that allows us to hear his revelation of himself to us and thereby giving us godly wisdom. But I want us to be careful real with this. A moment ago I said that God's wisdom is hidden and secret, but that he reveals it to us. If we're not careful, we can fall into an old trap, which is called Gnosticism, where we act as if we have some kind of special insider's information and we can figure things out. For us to say that God reveals himself to us is not some kind of mystical, magical knowledge. Rather, it's simply something that unbelievers cannot understand on their own, but it becomes quite clear to believers that when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, he reveals himself to us and removes those blinders which have caused confusion in our lives my question for you is this and stay with me because it's on topic even though it doesn't sound like it do you like to study and research things back in the day we had this thing called the library that you would go to and you would study and we had these things called card catalogs and you would like look for a book and then you'd study it and then it would tell you to go to another book and you look at these things called footnotes we had these things called books that you would take and sit at the desk and study right whenever i study a subject whether for school or otherwise i like to dig in and then dig in a little bit more and i'm a bit of a rabbit chaser and so i'll go down this path and this path and i like to dig down deep and research things and try to understand them for instance for the last 30 years i've been researching trying to understand and studying the dallas cowboys about why they can't win a super bowl and yet i come to a dead end every time <laughs> in all seriousness when it comes to understanding god we can't on our own dig deeper to understand God. However, we can understand him by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look at verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The way that we are to come to know God and his wisdom is not digging deeper on our own, but rather the Holy Spirit himself who knows the things of God because he is God as part of the Trinity. He reveals those things to us. Another weird thing about me, I don't know if you ever do this or not, but sometimes when I'm people watching, I find myself doing this. I'm like, what would it be like to be in his mind, in his head? Like, what would it be like to be in his eyes and see what he's seeing? Does he see the world the same way I do? 
does he like things like I do? Like, it's weird to think, like, how can I get inside the mind of another person? How can I understand what someone else is thinking about? What would it be like to look through somebody else's eyes? Verse 11, Paul says, the only way that you know a person's thoughts is by the spirit of that person which is in him. In other words, you can't fully know another person regardless of how much they reveal to you about themselves because you aren't in their mind, in their body. And he says the same thing is true with God. He then uses that as an analogy and says, so also in verse 11, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We aren't God, therefore we can't understand God. I mean, we have a hard enough time remembering things about ourselves. Yesterday at our house, we were trying to get into um, United Airlines, and you have five questions, security questions you have to answer. And it's like, I don't remember what I said on that one. How do I know the answer to that? I'm myself, and I don't even understand myself. You're like, I get that, Alan. <laughs> the reality is we can't understand God without the Holy Spirit doing his work within us. But the good news is found in 12. It says, but we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And because we receive the spirit that's from God, we might understand the things freely given us by God. So back to the question of the sermon. Do you understand God? The answer is you can. You can understand God. And you can understand him as the Holy Spirit empowers you to do so. And yet, all throughout our lives, we try to live in worldly wisdom, even as a Christian, and try to understand God by using our own human intellect and rationale. It's going to fall short every time. The only way that you and I can truly know God and understand Him is if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead our lives. And as the Holy Spirit reveals God to us, ultimately, ultimately, look, look at verse 16. Ultimately, Paul finishes this chapter with his last sentence and says, but we have the mind of Christ. I want to be really careful here. This is not saying by any stretch of the imagination that we can understand all of Christ's thoughts because we are not Christ. However, the Holy Spirit lives within us and therefore as he chooses to reveal himself to us, we can know Christ because, because the Holy Spirit lives within us in a sense we have the mind of Christ. The indwelling Spirit reveals Christ to us as we begin to see him from his viewpoint instead of things from our viewpoint. So... As I studied this text, I came to a question. I didn't really know where to put it in my notes, so I stuck it here. I don't know whether it fits here best or not, but let's put it there anyway. This text is not telling us that we should not study our Bibles or use our minds and intellect and wisdom when we study the Bible. Rather, to say that we are not to use worldly wisdom, but we're to use godly wisdom means that as we study the Bible and as we use our minds and the faculties that God has given to us, as we study and research, as we seek to understand him more, are we guided by our intellect or are we guided by the Holy Spirit? Because if I'm guided by, by my intellect, I fall short of the understanding of God's word. If I follow the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to understand completely all of God's word because I'm not God, but I'm going to get a lot closer to it than if I try to do it on my own strength. 
So don't read the Bible like you would any other book and process it like you would any other book, but rather understand the Holy Spirit was written by, I mean the Holy Spirit, the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit and therefore the only way for us to understand the Bible fully is to allow the author of the book to reveal it to us. You see, worldly wisdom means relying upon myself and my knowledge and not the Holy Spirit. We must stay grounded in the Holy Spirit as we study God's Word or we can be led astray. Have you ever paid attention to what happens around Easter time? Around Easter time, and I'm not talking about the Easter Bunny or Cadbury's eggs. I'm talking about perhaps you're reading an article, perhaps you're online, perhaps you've got the television on. Around Easter, it never fails. All of these New Testament scholars come out of the woodwork to tell us how Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Have you seen that? Perhaps you have, perhaps you haven't. All of these people that try to tell us that Jesus did not rise from the dead. One guy that comes to my mind is by the name of Bart Ehrman. And they begin to deny the resurrection and they begin to use their minds to tell us how it's not true. But the reality is this, they may be New Testament scholars because they've read it a bunch and they have opinions on it. And they may even understand the Greek somewhat, but they are not New Testament scholars because the Holy Spirit hasn't come into their life. And therefore they reject the truth of God's word and they can't understand or comprehend it. I'm not saying these people are not smart people. I'm not saying these people aren't brilliant people. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed himself to them or they've chosen to reject that and therefore they misunderstand God's word. You see, anybody can read God's word and make it say anything they want it to say unless the Holy Spirit is guiding us in our reading of it. So what do we do with all this? You're like, Alan, that's neat and stuff. You told me to not go according to worldly wisdom for me to go with godly wisdom you told me that the way i get the opportunity to understand god is from the holy spirit but what do i do now why does this matter what does this have to do with me i want to kind of bring it all together death is found whenever we follow worldly wisdom but life is found whenever we follow god's wisdom worldly wisdom says this not all worldly wisdom, but this is an example of worldly wisdom. Go to church. You were raised in the church. Your mom would be proud if you went to church. Go every Sunday. Give a donation to the church. Pray. Go to that Bible study. Be a good moral, ethical person. Be a good American. Say amen when the preacher preaches. Do all of these things. But did you hear me leave one huge thing out? Not once did I say, trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I just said, go to church, do the things, go through the motions. Worldly wisdom says, I can be good with God and the man upstairs if I'm a good person and go to church as much as I can. Godly wisdom says, that's, that's mess, that's hogwash. Church attendance is important. All those things are good, but in the right order. Godly wisdom says there's only one way to be made right with God. That all of us are fallen, broken, sinful people in need of a Savior. And that because of sin in our life, we can never be in right standing with God short of God bringing a solution to the problem, and that solution to the problem has the name of Jesus. God sent His Son to live a perfect life, a life that you and I cannot live, to die a death that we deserve as a sin-free man 
the Son of God, God in the flesh, died on the cross so that if we place our faith and our trust in what he has done on our behalf, we can be forgiven of our sins. And that three days later he was raised. Even as I describe this, some of you are thinking that is the hokiest, silliest, foolish statement I've ever heard. But it's the gospel truth. May the Holy Spirit reveal himself to you today so that you might see Jesus for who he is. You see, the Spirit is seeking to reveal the truth to you, but the question is, are you listening? Follow the Holy Spirit for salvation and for living the Christian life. As I thought about what does this mean for you, I've realized that it's got to mean something for me as well, right? In addition to what I just described, it means things for me also. This week, as I was preparing the message, and we had a shorter week because of Fourth of July and family activities and some time off that I took, I, I was working on the message last night, and, and I thought the message was pretty straightforward, like godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom leads to death. Godly wisdom leads to life. It's a pretty cut and dry kind of message to figure out, but there was this uneasiness in me and I began to reflect why is there an uneasiness within me I don't really know but here are some things going on in my life right now um, in just about three weeks my house goes from four in the nest to two in the nest as my ha house goes halfway empty uh, as we do that they're going to be in two different time zones more than a thousand miles away from us One's going to be going for the first time off on her own. The other's going to go finish up her last year in college. And at the end of the, the year, that means graduation and this thing called marriage, which is really weird for me to think about, right? Not for me, but for her. She's not old enough to be married yet, right? It's in my brain. And then I began to reflect. Have I been the dad I'm supposed to be? Am I going to be the dad that I'm supposed to be in the, in the days ahead? Have I done the right things? And then I began to think, I realized, oh my goodness, look what you're doing, Alan. You're thinking through the worldly wisdom. Did I do it right? Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right words? How am I going to be the dad I'm supposed to be now? Like, what does it mean for the rest of us? Are they going to be okay? Are they going to figure life out? Are they going to hear me say these things are good things, but if I'm processing them only through my logical way of doing things, if you've been around me, you know I try to be logical even though I'm not always logical, and it's chaos sometimes in my brain, but my question is, as I'm thinking about these things and worrying about these things and, and, and mulling over in my brain about these things, am I praying about them? Am I relinquishing control and letting go of my hand and letting God do it? Am I trusting in his strength and his power and his wisdom that, yeah, maybe I didn't do it perfectly in the past? I don't think any of us have, right? Okay, maybe I won't do it perfect in the future, but, but I can't change the past at all, can I? I've got to trust in the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I don't know whether that even made sense to you. As I, you're like, Alan, I don't even know what that had to do with this passage. I don't know either. I just know that the Lord convicted me that I've got to stop trying to figure things out on my own. And I've got to trust the Holy Spirit and his work in my life. So my question for you is this. Are you walking in worldly wisdom? Or are you walking in spiritual wisdom? 
worldly wisdom could look like complete chaos and almost flipping God off because we're doing so much sin in our lives. But worldly wisdom could almost look like godly wisdom, but we're not processing things through God's lens. Does that make sense? Satan likes to take the counterfeit and confuse us. Perhaps you're not walking completely waywardly away from God. If you are, I ask, would you repent and trust in Jesus for salvation and allow him to do his work in your life? Or perhaps you're not necessarily obvious to the rest of the world waywardly walking away from God, but rather instead you're processing your life and your decisions based on what you think instead of consulting the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, by the very definition, you are walking in worldly wisdom. So my question is, are you walking according to God's wisdom or to your own? I want to finish with this verse. Or I take that back. I'm going to read two verses. <laughs> Look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, we impart or share or speak or tell this, the godly wisdom, in words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He says that we are to speak God's wisdom. So part of what we are to do is like Paul, we are to go out and tell others about the wisdom and the power that's found in the cross. My question is, are you doing that? As we do that, as we share the hope of the cross with a world that needs to hear it, May we remember these words of Paul as well to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, I'm jumping over to the next letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. These verses are similar to what we've been reading about in 1 Corinthians. About things being veiled or hidden. But why they're being hidden. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled or hidden to those who are perishing. And then he describes, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It says that the God of this world, that Satan himself is blinding unbelievers to keep them from seeing the truth of Christ. And so as we impart the wisdom of the cross to those who need to hear it, we need to remember that Satan is doing everything he can to blind their eyes. And so as we share the gospel, let's trust the Holy Spirit to do his work through our words and in the life of the individual that the blinders would come down and they would trust in Jesus as their Savior. So part of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is sharing it and praying that the Spirit would reveal the truth to those who are listening. This morning, I've got four things that you might, could, or should do in response to this message today. Some directly tie into this message and others don't, but here they are. The first one is this, trust in Jesus as your Savior. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. Experience the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ alone. In a moment, I'll be available here at the front. I would love to pray with you. If, if you're struggling with this, trying to understand what it means to trust in Jesus, I would love to sit and visit with you. You also can use your connection card. Put it on there, and we'll follow up with you on that. The second one is this. Follow the Holy Spirit in your life. 
follow the Holy Spirit in your life? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life in such a way that you will follow him closely? The third next step that you could take is this, tell others the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And I was having a conversation with a professor of mine from college days this week, and I realized that I'm not faithful in saying this next part, so I'm going to say it because God could be at work in some of your lives. Yes, it's true that all of us, whether we're a pastor or not, should tell others about Jesus. Yes, in our daily lives, we should be busy about telling others about Jesus, but I believe there very well could be people in this room that God is calling you to vocationally tell others about Jesus, that God may be calling some of you to be a pastor, that God may be calling some of you to be a missionary, that God may be calling some of you to be ministers, and I want you to hear God's voice. Could it be that God is calling you to live a life not only telling about Jesus in your everyday life, but also vocationally living that out? Is God calling you into vocational ministry of sharing the gospel? And then the last thing that you might do as a result of this, perhaps the Holy Spirit is guiding you to become a member of this church. And the way that you can do that is you can go online, sign up for the class. You can come down here and tell me, hey, Alan, sign me up for the class. You can fill it out on your connection card. There's all kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit could be leading you in the process this morning of responding to his wisdom. Are you living the life according to godly wisdom, or are you living the life according to worldly wisdom? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a chance to be here this morning. God, we are reminded of the truth of your word. You're calling us to live in the truth of your word instead of in our own way of doing things. God, I pray that you would help us to confess sins that may be causing us to think through the world's lens instead of looking through the godly lens. Father, I pray that you would have your way this morning. God, if there's someone that needs to come to know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. If there's others that you're calling to join with this church and make this uh, church their home, that they'd come to membership class next week. That others, you may be uh, leading them to become a, a pastor or a missionary. or You may begin to stir those waters in, in some people's lives. God, I pray that in all of our lives that we would seek to follow the Spirit's leading and not our own leading. Father, we want to understand you, we want to know you, and we thank you that when we've placed our faith and our trust in you, that the Holy Spirit resides within us, revealing yourself to us. And so, Father, in this moment, may we hear your voice and may we respond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing a couple of songs, and as we do that, this will be your chance to respond. You can respond by praying there at your seat, by praying at the altar here, by coming to pray with me or share with me. Maybe you need to grab somebody that's sitting beside you and you come pray with that person. You can use your connection card. You can do any of these things. And then the second song, we'll continue to respond. And an additional way in the second song is that we'll take up the offering. And so the ushers will come. They'll pass the plates. You can put your offering envelope there and or your connection card. But let's follow the Spirit this morning. Let's worship.